Okay, good morning. Tomorrow is two parashiot, parashat hukat, parashat balak. I'm going to start backwards if you don't mind. There's a lot to talk about, but I'd like to point one important thing out. In parashat balak, of course, the, uh, the person, Bil'am, as you know, we call him Bil'am Harasha. Bil'am Harasha. He's one of the people in history that got this great title. Bil'am Harasha. Bil'am Dirasha. And we see throughout the Parasha, we see throughout the Parasha that Bil'am is Bil'am is a man who clearly doesn't follow God's instructions. He doesn't care about what Hashem tells him. He goes to curse the Jewish people when Hashem told him, do not curse. Bil'am is a man who is very, very much excited about three things. Mishnah Perkei Avot says that Bil'am, he gets excited for three things. First of all, he has an ayin ra'ah. Ayn Ra'a is the opposite of Ayn Toba. Ayn Toba means a person who is a satisfied person. Very hard to find today satisfied people. Satisfied person means a satisfied person is somebody who feels blessed, whether he has a little bit or he has a lot. A satisfied person doesn't look at other people and what they have, doesn't look, doesn't measure his success with other people's success that's a satisfied it's called mistapek ayin tova is a person who has istapkut he is a satisfied person it's a little different than happy satisfaction he's satisfied which means he has ambition to, to, to make as much as he can but at the end of the day whatever Hashem gives him he's satisfied with it he's blessed, he feels blessed no matter how much or how little he has. Bil'am was not that kind of person. Bil'am was a person who was lacking satisfaction. The Mishnah says in Perkei Avot, he had a ayin ra'a, which means anything that he saw by other people, he felt was being taken away from him. There are people like that in life, that whatever they see by somebody else, they feel really belongs by them and somehow was taken from them, either by the person or by Hashem. That's called the ayin ra'an. You see the good in others as a bad thing for yourself. Also, Bil'am had another wonderful midah. He had the midah of, it says by Abraham, he had the three opposites. Abraham was ruach, ruach, nemuchah. Mazer ruach, nemuchah, and nefesh shepelah. Ruach Nemucha. Let me read for you over here. How Surah Hatimbalan. What the Rambam writes. What's Ruach Nemucha? Rambam writes he was a humble man. Abraham was a humble person. Anava. We've been learning about that. Bil'am was not a humble man. Bil'am takes as much credit as he can for anything that he does or doesn't do. 
This is Bil'am. Bil'am is a person who is lacking anava. He's a person who is lacking humility. He's lacking satisfaction. And he's lacking tsenyut. Nefesh shefila is Abraham Avinu. Nefesh shefila means he's not a person who's overwhelmed by his physical passions. A person has ta'avot, physical passions for things. And sometimes that passion overwhelms the person and becomes his really main goal in life. And everything in between is just a way to get to the main goal. And he over he, everything is about that. We're talking about the lack of tzinyut. Tzinyut, the way he behaves around women, around different things he shouldn't be involved in, different things he shouldn't be watching, shouldn't be looking at. This is a, called a, a person who is sanua. Sanyut means his eyes he keeps to himself. But Bil'am was not that kind of person. In fact, when he gave advice to, to the Balak after he failed, he told them, you know, you can beat them by this lack of tzenyut. He had some ladies come out from Moab and whatever they did, they did from Midian. Bottom line is, this was his, his uh, expertise. Bil'am is not a man who was sanua. Bil'am was a man whose desires overwhelmed him. Everybody's got desires. Nobody here is a bad person because they have ta'avot. What makes a person a Bil'am arasha is that your ta'avot become what leads you in life. They control you instead of you control them. This is Bil'am. That's just a little introduction about this man, Bil'am arasha. But I think I want to share with you something that you probably never heard before. It's a very, I, I'm sure the story you all heard. It's one of the most famous stories in all of Tanakh. It's a little bit of an odd story. It's that when Bil'am was going to curse the Jewish people, it says, the Pasuk says, the Pasuk says, as he was traveling on his mule, listening, as he was traveling on his mule to get to where he needs to get on this mission of his, it says the Pasuk says, Vayiftah Adonai et pi ha'aton. Hashem opened the mouth of the mule. Vatomer lebil'am. So it says, Hashem opened the mouth of the mule. Vatomer lebil'am. She says to Bil'am, the mule. Me'asiti lecha. What did I do to you? Because the, the Pasuk earlier says that the angel came in front of this uh, mule and he's blocking it. So the mule is not going. Going right, going left. So Bil'am is all upset. And he's hitting the mule to go forward. Meanwhile, he doesn't see what the mule sees. And uh, the mule gets very upset. He gets hurt. That, he says, What did I do to you? You hit me three times. You beat me up. What did I do to you? 
Bil'am answers him back. He tells him, Fayumir Bil'am Lahatun, he hit Allah to be. You're mocking me, you belittle me. You don't, you don't do what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be my mule. You're supposed to go where I take you. You're not, you're not traveling the right way. He says, If I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. But Tomer Ha'atonel Bil'am, the Aton replies, very, very, oh, what, a, what an interesting conversation. He's talking to his mule. The mule re- responds to Bil'am. He told him, He says, I am your mule. You have been riding on me. We have a relationship here. You've been riding on me for years. I'm your dedicated mule. Did I do this ever to you? Is this the way I normally behave? By Yomer law, and he says, no. Do you imagine this conversation? It is. And all of a sudden, Hashem opened up the eyes of the, of Bil'am, and he saw what the mule saw and he understood why he wasn't able to move forward. Besides it being an odd type of story. So in Pirkei Avot, the Mishnah says something very interesting. It says in Pirkei Avot that there were 10 things that were created before the world. Ten things that took place in history that were created, right? Excuse me. They were created at Shabbat during the creation. Excuse me, right. One more time. Let's repeat that again. The Mishnah Prakeh Avot says there were ten things that were created before the completion of the world. On Erev Shabbat of the days of creation, Hashem created 10 things before the world was complete. And they list what they are. 10 miraculous things. Basically, the idea is that these 10 things are not part of the normal nature. Hashem created nature. Things usually happen within nature. These things were created, they're out of nature. So they were created before the completion of the world. One of them is the man the man is that nature that was created. The man was created before, before the end of creation. And one of them is, the Mishnah says, The mouth of this mule of Bil'am was created miraculously, right? I mean, of course, if Hashem wants the rock to talk, he can talk. No great Hashem, anything that can happen. But Hashem lives within nature. But a mule talking is out of nature. So says the Mishnah and this was created before the completion of the creation. And if Shabbat, on the sixth day, Hashem created the pi ha'aton of Bil'am so he could talk to him. 
Good so far? Oh. Here is a very big question. I'm sorry I had to give you a little introduction so, to understand what we're about to say. Hashem makes miracles for very important things, very important reasons. In this situation, what, what did we learn? What's so valuable in our parasha that we're going to read tomorrow when we see the story of the Aton talking? How are we going home as a different person? I mean, we may find it a little weird, that's all. Interesting. But what value Hashem had to make a miraculous mouth that the Aton needs to speak to Bil'am and it has to be written in the Torah and every year we have to get together and read about the Aton speaking. What's so important about the Aton speaking? So maybe the words that he said are very important. Maybe that's what it means. Hashem gave him a mouth to say such important words. Maybe he shared great wisdom. But if you look at what he said, he didn't say anything. He said something a little child can say. What does he say? When he hit a, when he hit a child for no reason, what does he say? What did I do? Go today, don't do it. But imagine, you can go hit a child outside. So, what was that? What did I do? First simple reaction. What did I do to you that you hit me? He says to him, where is it? Have it. Good. Good. So really the, 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 the Aton, this mule, did not say anything of great value. He basically reacted what a little child would say. Hashem had to think about this before the creation was complete. See, I got to make this Aton. I got to speak to Bilam. I got to write it in the Torah. And I need Am Yisrael to read this every year to make sure they understand it. What is the value of this miracle? Now, I'm going to tell you something now. It's very powerful. Really, very, very powerful. More powerful than I could probably express it. You know, people might study this personality called Bil'am Arasha. And they'll see some very bad things about this man. We mentioned some of them. And there's more. And a person might not have the right takeaway of what made this man Bil'am Arasha. Meaning, in life, I've told you this a number of times, Sometimes we see things and we think, oh, that's why this person is a bad person. Because look what they do. They do A, they do B, they do C. So if I tell you what makes this person not a quality person, you'll point to all the things that they do, which is correct, but really doesn't answer why they do it. So very often in life we pinpoint 
to the good or the bad that people are doing, and we basically say the reason why they're this way is because of this. But that's external. What's the depth behind why they're that person? It's not, it's not valuable to say, you know what's wrong with this guy? He's not satisfied. Okay. So he's not set. Being not satisfied makes you a rasha. Great. But why are you not satisfied? What's causing you not to be satisfied? Here you have an anava issue. You have a humility issue. Why? You have a tzaniyut issue. Why? Why not paying attention when Hashem talks to you? Why not? Why not? You heard him. You understand. You know he's talking to you. Why would you not pay attention to it? So when we read the story of Bil'am, we see clearly what he's doing wrong. There's no question. Anybody who reads the parashah tomorrow with their own eyes and ears could see what the man is doing wrong. But unfortunately, even if you read the story, you're reading the story of another person. And that other person is not you and has no relevance to you. And the messages that you get is, don't be this, don't do that, don't be that. But let me tell you something. I bet if you ask Bil'am himself, is it good to be this? Is it good to be a person who isn't satisfied? He would say, no. Is it good to have arrogance? He'd say, no. Is it good to be this kind of person who lacks seniority? He would say, no. So really, we've learned nothing. Because whatever it is that we came out with, that these things aren't good, the person himself that we're learning about agrees to you. But yet, he's still doing it. That means knowing good, knowing what's right, knowing what's better for us in life, doesn't mean anything. Because the people who know better are doing the same thing. The guy talks about the greatness of humility, the most arrogant person. Guy talks about being satisfied, the most jealous person. He agrees to the lesson, he agrees to the value, but it's not helping. So learning about Bil'am Rasha and learning about what makes a Rasha is very nice as information, but in reality, what is it helping us? All right, we walk out of this class today. Beautiful. Don't be this. Don't be that. Don't do this. Great. But we're still going to do it. We're still going to be jealous. We're still going to complain about not having enough. We're still going to be arrogant. We're still going to... What does it help us? You follow what I just told you? Identifying what is bad doesn't help anybody because it's not enough to identify it. You need to know what is the source that brings a person to this spot. Bil'am is a brilliant man. There's a reason why Balak calls on Bil'am. He's a brilliant man. He's a scholar. The Midrash says, that Moshe Rabbeinu was unique 
but only to Am Yisrael. But the Goyim had someone called Bil'am. Bil'am was on the level of Moshe Rabbeinu in some way or form. You're talking about a brilliant man. And yet, this is who he is. Let nobody here think for a second that you can't have the same ending as Bil'am. Don't think Bil'am is this terrible person whose mission in life is to be called Rasha. Don't think that. Bil'am is a good man. Bil'am wants to be a good man. Bil'am even knows what it takes to be a good man. Bil'am knows more about our classes than the one giving the class. Bil'am is a spiritual person. Bil'am is not a personality that you would look in the street and say, oh, let me stay away from that man. No, no. Bil'am is a scholar. So, what's, so what are we learning then? What's the goal of this? And for this purpose comes the Torah and says, Hashem created a miracle for Bil'am and for us that tomorrow we read this story we don't walk away empty-handed because learning about Bil'am is called empty-handed. You think you have something full, but you're really empty because you learn nothing for yourself. So Hashem made this miracle. He made the mule speak so that He can give you and I a very important message. If you want to know why Bil'am is Bil'am? You want to know how he got to be Bil'am Arasha? Why is he all this? Why? The, the, the mule says why. The mule says, Halo anochi atonecha. Am I not your mule? You've been riding on me for years. Where's your hakarat atov? Where is your appreciation for the mule that's been serving you? This is what the mule tells Bil'am. Your problem, Bil'am, is that you are a person who's not makir tov. You don't appreciate and show appreciation to those things that help you in life. It is this statement that Hashem created that the message to Bil'am and to us, you want to know the underlying reason why a person is not satisfied in life? Because he's lacking hakaratatov. Because he doesn't know how to appreciate not what Hashem does for him. He can't ever appreciate even when something is being done from front of his face, even appreciation to a mule is considered a lack of hakarat atom. And this is actually the way of great people. How, how far does hakarat atom go? We think hakarat just means to say thank you. It's such a warped understanding of hakarat atom. Saying thank you is not enough. 
not enough. It's very cheap. Hakarata tov means you owe the person. Let me give you an example of hakarata tov in real life. Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu after many days of convincing. He tells Moshe Rabbeinu, I need you to go to Mitzrayim. It's time. My people have suffered enough. It's time for them to leave. You are the Goel. You're the Redeemer. You're the Mashiach. The Torah, it's time to give the Torah. Am Yisrael is waiting hundreds of years for this. They're suffering in Egypt every day. Hashem tells him, it's time. I need you to go to Mitzrayim. Hashem tells him, Ve'ata lecha ve'eshlachacha el paro. Let me send you to paro to start this important mission. The birth of our people. Saving us from destruction. Physical and spiritual destruction. In Mitzrayim, not only they were suffering physically, they were suffering spiritually. They were on the bottom of the bottom. Hazal tell us they reached the bottom of the barrel. One more downturn and there's no going back. So now is the time. Look what the Pasuk says. When Hashem tells him that in Parashat Shemot, when Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, let me send you to Paro. Look at this shocking, awesome line that you should keep this in your pocket. Not only in your phone, Joe. Keep it in your pocket. Make sure you don't lose it. Look at this unbelievable line. It's hard to believe this line. The Pasuk says, So now God tells you, Atta. Is there anything clear? You know what the word Atta means? Now, sometimes a guy says, you know, go, okay, I'll go at my own convenience. He said to go, I'm going to go. Ever see it? He tell your son to do something? Go do it. Oh, shoot. You didn't do it. I'm going to do it. It's been a half hour. I'm going to do it. And he gets angry. Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, he says, Ata, now I want you to go to Paro to start the redemption. Hashem says, go now. Right? Is it clear on that? We're waiting for you. The Jewish people are waiting for you. Maybe one less dead person. One less person getting hit. Any, any, any question about that? You know what happens after this meeting? The Pasuk says, Vayelech Moshe Vayashov el Yeter Hoteno He went back to his father-in-law Yitro. Vayomer lo And he says to Yitro, his father-in-law, Elchanah Vayashuvah should I go back? You mind if I go back? Elahai to my brothers, Asher ben Mitzrayim. Would you give me permission to go back and take care of my brethren in Egypt? Vayomer Yitro le Moshe. 
Yitro says to Moshe, Lech Shalom. Go ahead. Go. You know how shocking this is? Do you know what this means? The creator of the world himself is talking to you. He tells you, Ata. Now, now, go to Mitzrayim. What do you do? You go to your father-in-law, no less. Right? That's the, that's also a Hidush. <laughs> you go to your father-in-law, not your father, to your father-in-law, and you say, do you give me permission to go? Do I have permission? And only when Yitro says yes, he goes. How do you understand that? What's going on here? The Midrash says that when Hashem told Moshe, go to Paro, Amar Lo, the Midrash fills in the missing pieces. Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, excuse me, Moshe tells Moshe, Hashem, I don't know how you could argue with God, but he does. He tells him, Ribbon Olam, Master of the Universe, Eni Yachol, I'm sorry, I cannot go. Imagine that. I cannot go. Even Bil'am, in this week's parasha says, I cannot deviate from God's words and iota. Even Bil'am says that. Yet Moshe Rabbeinu tells Hashem, I'm sorry. Master of the universe, I respect you. I cannot go. Why can't you go? When I was a fugitive, I had no place, I had no home, I was running away. He accepted me. He opened me his home. He brought me into his house. He gave me his daughter to marry. Someone who opens the door for you. Doesn't literally mean the door of his house. Someone who opens a door for you. Says Moshe Rabbeinu. I owe him my life. So if you want to kill me, kill me. I cannot go. I need to go and speak to him and to see if he's okay with me leaving. How long do we have to think about what we just spoke about? How much time to actually try to comprehend what just happened? And Hashem says, go ahead. So why did Hashem tell him before, Atta? Why did Hashem tell him, go now? If Hashem knows what's right and wrong, why does He tell him, go now? Because when it comes to great people, Hashem tests them. He wants to see just how beautiful their midot are. Great people are tested at a very high level. Hashem says, I'm going to tell him to go. Let me see how strong Hakaratatov is inside of him. We all have Hakaratatov. We all appreciate. So much so that I almost feel it's a waste of time talking about it in the class. 
Because every person is going to walk away saying, I have hakaratato. I appreciate a lot of things. I always say thank you to people. I always so. But you should know that just because you have something in this area, it doesn't mean that you really have it in its full capacity. Take, take two, take three, take four. Think about it again. And think what Hakarata Tov really is. Think about a man. Hashem said, I want to see how real Hakarata Tov is in this man. You know how I'm going to test him? I'm going to tell him to go. I'm going to tell him myself to go. And let me see if it's real by him. And Moshe Rabbeinu showed that it's real. He was willing to go up against the creator of the world for the midah of Akarat Atov. That's how big Akarat Atov is. It's worth fighting the creator of the world. Say, Hashem, I'm sorry. I can't do it. That's how big this midah is. That's how far it goes. How many times in your life have you made different calculations? Yes, this person did a lot for me. But what can I do? I had no choice. Yes, this person, I owe them my life. But the situation is this. Is there anything greater than this? Is there a greater excuse than the creator, the source of all of life, the source of all midot? He's telling you to go. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'm not going. God, listen to me. I'm not going. I don't care. You want to kill me? Kill me. I'm not going. I owe this man. I can't do it. That is so powerful. You know, Hashem did this to Moshe Rabbeinu in a different place. Not Hakaratatov. In a different way. It says by the Egel, Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, just leave me. I'm going to destroy and wipe out this nation and we'll start the new nation from you. You'll be the father of the new nation. We're going to wipe them all out. If Hashem said that to you, Caesar, what would you say? Say, finally, Hashem. Finally, you figured it out. What took you so long? Right, finally, you realized. I'm the guy. Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem tells him, we're going to start from you. You're going to be the father of everything that's great. You know Hashem tells him? You know Moshe tells him? He tells Moshe Rabbeinu, that's very nice. But if you do that, Hashem, if you wipe out this nation, please kill me with them. I will not stay to take on this new responsibility the father of the new nation you want to have. I'm not doing it. You take them, you wipe me out with them. What, you talk to God like that? You could talk to the creator of the world like that? He's telling you I want to start a new nation with you. So I'm sorry. Take me with them. That was a test of Moshe Rabbeinu. When you're a leader of people, are you willing to give up your life? Is it about them or is it about you? It's always been a big question. Anybody in leadership, whether it's a father or mother, whether it's a rabbi or a teacher, 
whether it's a president of an organization, whatever you're a leader, the ultimate question is, is this for you or is it for them? It's a very big question that very few people can honestly answer. You might think it's for them, but you're not really sure. That was Moshe Rabbeinu's test over here. Hashem wanted to see what this man's all about. He said, you know what? Let's wipe them out. They did a terrible thing. Let's get rid of them. Let's start with you. You didn't do anything wrong. Let's start. Sounds beautiful. But a true leader is interested not in themselves, but in the betterment of the woes who are leading. A true father worries about their children, not about what they want from their children. It's a very big question. If we really want what's best for them, or we want what's best for us, it's a big question. Don't think because you love your children, automatically you're looking for their best. Don't think that. It's a very big mistake. It's a big mistake. Guys, I love my children. I give everything to my children. Of course, this is for them. Don't be so sure. Do not be sure. Very often as leaders, we care about ourselves. Don't say I'm doing it for my students. Not for me. It's only for them. Don't be so sure. Don't be so sure you're leading your community because of your care for them. It's a very cheap answer to say, that's why I do it. Action speaks much louder than your words that you may even think that you mean. Hashem puts Moshe Rabbeinu to the test. Let me see what this man is all about. Is it about him or about them? He gave him a golden opportunity from God himself. I gave you an example there of how Hashem himself tests people. He will tell them something to see how they're going to react. Here Hashem told Yitro, Moshe, go to Paro to see his level of akaratatov. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'm sorry. I would rather die. I'd rather you kill me. And I don't and I don't behave in a way that shows a lack of Hakaratatov. This is the greatness of Hakaratatov. A person does you a favor. Again, I'm talking now to you as a friend. We have a lot to work in this area. To our father-in-law. We have a lot of work to do. Gave us, he gave us our family. He gave us our wife. That's a big item. For that alone, there's endless hakaratatot of how to treat the person, how to talk to the person. So many people in our lives, there's a person who is who we work for. He's paying us every month, every week. We get a nice check to live. Most people don't have hakaratatov because they say, what do you mean? I'm working. I deserve it. Guess what? When Moshe was taken by Yitro, you think Yitro was thinking about Moshe? Hazal tell us no. Because when his girls came back, they said there was this man, beautiful man. He helped us. He says, go call him. What was he interested in? 
the Midrash says he was interested in the Shidduch for his daughters. Which actually would happen. He wasn't doing it L'Shem Shamaim. When he went to bring Moshe Rabbeinu in his house, he's investing in a future son-in-law that he's looking for. Never say, oh, well, I'm working for you. What does that mean? But he's paying, he's paying your living. He's paying your, your, your wages. We have a way of separating and saying, no, no, I don't owe that person because I do. Or I do also. Akarata Tov is a huge item. Tomorrow's parasha when you're walking home and you're reading about Bil'am Harasha. Hashem created the Aton to tell every one of us that at the very core of this man's destruction and everybody's destruction, at the core of our destruction is a lack of appreciation that we have for the people in our lives. And guess what happens when you don't appreciate people? You can't appreciate Hashem either. The reason why you're not listening when Hashem talks to you is because you're missing Akarat Atov. Hashem tells you, do this, do me a favor. Could you do this on Shabbat? And you say, nah, not really so interested in that. Wait a second. Who are you talking to? He gave you your life. He gave you everything you have. And this is what he wants you to do. And you tell him, no. Where does that come from? So some people think it comes from rebellion. Some people say it's a yetzahara. But the real core is that you're lacking hakarat atov. We're lacking this midah of appreciation and saying, I can't do something against you. And it starts the way you treat people. The way you treat people is the way you'll treat God himself. Unbelievable. This miracle that Hashem thought about from the sixth day of creation, that we should sit here today and figure out what was behind the terrible behavior of Bilam Rasha and by extension, all of evil that we find in the world. Evil emanates from this terrible sickness of not having hakaratatov to those who do things for us. Don't excuse yourself. I'm talking to myself. I do so much. Let me give you another thing that we use as an excuse in this area. I think I mentioned this to you a long time ago. The Torah tells us that when it comes to certain nations while they can convert they can become Jewish if they want but we're not allowed to marry them for example Ammon and Moab these two nations they can convert but you cannot marry a man from Ammon can't do it he's Jewish can't marry him. Why? We all know why. We all heard why. Because they didn't offer us some water, something to eat, as we were passing by their land while in the desert. And they owed us because their father Lot was saved by our father Abraham. They, they exist only because of Abraham. 
He saved his life. He was taken captive. He saved him. The whole nation of Ammon and Moab exists because of Abraham's kindness. And his children, they're walking in front of your city. You don't say, what can I give you? Not that we needed them. We didn't need them. But just offer something. Good? That we know. What you may not know is that the way the Torah views an Egyptian. Can an Egyptian convert to Judaism? An authentic Egyptian. The Egyptians, not even the ones that live in Egypt today, the original Egyptians, can an Egyptian convert to Judaism after all they did to us? You know, Ammon and Moab, all they did is they didn't bring us some water. And we say forever, can't marry that person. Mitzrayim, they were, they enslaved us for hundreds of years. So what should we do to them? Should we allow them to be part of our nation or not? Comes the Torah and says, the most, I, I, I can't tell you how spectacular this pasuk is. Can't tell you how awesome this pasuk is. The pasuk says, Amazing. Do not push the Egyptian far. Don't make him metuav like an abomination. Don't totally distance the Egyptian. You were a ger, you were a stranger living in his land. You live by the Egyptian. That's why the Torah says, if he converts, wait till the third generation, his grandson, you can marry his grandson already. Amon and Moab, forever. The Mitzri, don't push him away. Wait till his grandson, and then you can marry them. Why? Because you were a guest in his land. Now you read this, it sounds nice. But this is like saying we have to show Hakarata Tov to the Germans. Because we lived in Germany. Are you kidding? We lived in Germany? They forgot the Holocaust? What do you mean you were guests in his land? What about all the suffering? All the people that got killed in Egypt. All the pain, all the blood. We're talking hundreds of years that they put us through suffering. But the Torah says, but don't push him away because you were a guest in his land. What kind of guest is that? Could you imagine that's, that's called a guest? You bring a guest to your house and then you beat him up and you throw him out on his... You own my karata top. This is wild. Amon and Moab didn't give you water. For eternity, they're out. The Egyptian, you would say, 
How many times, how many times over you'll say, well, uh, Egyptian, forget it. Maybe they shouldn't even convert. I should know. Says the Torah, you're right. You're right. The Egyptian did more, perhaps. You're right. But I'm stuck. What should I do? You owe him. What should I do? You were a guest in his land. I can't do anything. You're stuck. But we asked, well, what about all the suffering? Doesn't that negate all the good that they did? You're right. They brought us in. They fed us. They took care of us. But isn't all the terrible things that they did to us, doesn't that wipe out the score? So here is one of the most powerful lessons you'll hear in your life. In your life. This is so powerful. I'm telling you, it's with you every day. The way I describe it, I described it once before. The way I like to describe it is that we look at relationships with people as if everything is in the same pot. So imagine I was making a pot of food. Very good things in that pot. Good meat. Good chilling. Nice. And then somebody comes and they pour in the pot some very, very bad tasting type of item. What happens to your food? What happens to it? Empty roast. Can't eat it. Gone. Ah, but there was good roast in there. There was good potatoes in there. There was some good sauce in there. You're right. But at this point, when they poured Whatever they poured in, it ruined the whole pot. What is the pot worth today to you? Zero. Even though there are a lot of good things in there, but it got ruined, it's zero. We view relationships with people. Each person is a pot. In that pot goes everything. The good that they did, the bad that they did. So you have a guy who did everything for you, but then he messed up. He did something really bad to you. Really bad, on purpose. So what do we do? We say, oh, the pot's ruined. The relationship is gone. Someone will tell you, but you owe the man hakaratatov. He gave you his daughter to marry. You're right, he didn't give you money afterwards. You're right, he took away something from you. You're right, he's an easy... But he gave you your daughter. I know, but look at the pot now. When you look at the pot now, it's horrible. Someone says, your wife, you know, you owe a lot to your wife. She does A, she does B, she does C. But then you'll say, but wait, she does F and she does G also. And look at the pot. The pot doesn't taste good anymore. You're right, she does that. But what about that? But what about this? We view relationships as a one-pot relationship. The Torah says it's not like that. It's a big mistake. They are two pots, and they don't touch each other. There's the roast, there's the good food, and there's the bad food. One doesn't have anything to do with the other. The Egyptians, they did a lot of bad things to you. That goes in the bad pot. But they did a lot of good to you, too. Ah, but the bad ruined the good. No, it's a different pot. It's a different account. When someone does you a favor and then they do something wrong, 
that doesn't negate it. It's a, it's a different bot, different place. You, huh? Because there is something wrong. Maybe we have to wait for them to, to see if they're, if they're sincere or if, or if they change, whatever it is. Maybe they need some time to recuperate so we don't accept them right away. But you can't push them away. Amazing thing. How many of our relationships are like this? Where we negate a person because of something they did bad. They did really bad. No, did bad. And someone will tell you, where's your hakaratato? The guy hushed my money, hakaratato. He stole my money. What are you talking about? You know what they did to me? Hakaratato. My mother, hakaratato. You know what she said to me yesterday? You know what she did to me last week? My father, you know what he did to me last? Different part. Different account. Just because someone does something bad to you, doesn't negate even a little bit the hakarata tov that you owe them for the things that they did to you. It's two separate bills. It's two separate accounts. One has nothing to do with the other. That's how far hakarata tov goes. Someone gives you something of value, you owe them your life. So much so, if God tells you, you can't do it because you're bound by hakarata tov. What does a lack of hakarata tov earn you? Comes the mule of Bil'am. Hashem created the mule because he was worried we would read tomorrow's parasha and get absolutely nothing out of it. We would read about a man who has all these terrible things and we come home and say, oh, yeah, this guy, this problem, he got that problem, that problem. Meanwhile, the one talking has the same problems. He's just not called Balaam Arashat, that's all. Hashem was worried we would miss the whole boat. He created a mule to talk, to grab our attention, to help us understand that the source of it all is Bil'am's lack of hakarata tov to a mule. When you don't have hakarata tov to your mule that's serving you, your housekeeper that's serving you, the people who are helping you, the guy packing the boxes in your warehouse, the guy who is cleaning the garbage in your office, when that guy is doing for you, if you don't have hakarata tov to your mule, you're going to end up being Bil'am Arashat. It's just another version of Bil'am Arashat. That's the source of all of his rishut. That is tomorrow's lesson. The mule was created to grab our attention, that we don't miss it. Something we have to really work on and upgrade in a very big way. I'm first to talk, and hopefully Bezat Hashem will be able to accomplish. There's a lot more, but that's it for today.